Welcome back to Nettie Reads, a classic podcast for my mother. She read to me when I was little, so now I'm returning the favour, and you're welcome to listen along. It's Sunday, and that means I'm reading a classic. Thursdays are for offbeat stuff, but whatever I'm reading, it's always great writing. Tonight, I am reading Dante, or to give him his full name, Durante de Alighiero degli Alighieri. More than a mouthful, Dante Alighieri, or just Dante, is much better. He was an Italian poet in 1265 in Florence, and he is famous the world over for his epic poetic work, The Divine Comedy, written between 1308 and 1320. It is the most important poem of the entire Middle Ages, because it is quite brilliant, and it is a deeply Christian allegorical tale, understandable and accessible back then to the people who were deeply Christian in their faith. It describes Dante on a journey, first through hell, then through purgatory, and then through heaven. Inferno, Purgatorio, e Paradiso. And as we are in October, and it is a spooky month, I am reading the beginning of Inferno, Hell. The Divine Comedy is obviously religious in its themes, but it's really the ultimate self-help book. Humans are flawed, sinners. There are many types of flaws. You will find yours somewhere in the book. You should confront your flaws, know them, own them, and find a way to address them. And to add some spice, it's a moving love story between Dante and Beatrice in Paradise. So what's not to like? Self-improvement, hell, and love. The perfect blockbuster combination. And you don't have to take my word for it that it's a classic. How about this review? Then she opened up a book of poems and handed it to me, written by an Italian poet from the 13th century. And every one of them words rang true and glowed like burning coal, pouring off of every page like it was written in my soul from me to you, tangled up in blue. That's Bob Dylan, and Dylan knows his Dante. And if it's good enough for Bob, it's good enough for me, and it should be for you too. So if it's a deeply Christian religious allegory, why is it called a comedy? Back then, at the turn of the 14th century, comedy, the word, meant a story with a happy ending. The happy ending in this case is paradise, and you can't get happier than that. Dante died on 14 September 1321, aged in his mid-fifties. So just a month ago, it was 700 years since his death. The whole of Italy in 2021 is filled with 700th year celebrations of Dante. They're lasting all year long. If you are lucky enough to travel to the Bel Paese, do please get familiar with Dante. He is terrific, and the Italians are rightly proud. He wrote the Divine Comedy, he just called it Commedia, in the vernacular Italian of the region of Tuscany where he was from. He did not write it in Latin. 
Not long after him, Boccaccio also wrote in Italian, his Decameron. And after him in England, Geoffrey Chaucer, who I covered back in episode 57, he chose to write in English, his Canterbury Tales. Latin was the favoured language for all formal writing, for books throughout Christendom, let's say throughout Europe. But local languages were plenty good enough for commerce, trade and day-to-day life. Dante was the trailblazer for favouring his own language over Latin in a formal written work of his own creation. He chose to create his work in his Italian language and good for him. He's also called the father of the Italian language for doing so. He really was quite courageous. Now, some listeners may be saying, but Nudie, what about the epic poem Beowulf? It's from sometime around the year 1000. That's in Old English, not Latin. Hasn't that got Dante beat by 300 years in the trailblazing language stakes? And I would say, no, because brilliant work that it is, the authorship of Beowulf is unknown to us. And that is because By the time it was written down, it was already an old Scandinavian story, told in Old English. So the writing is more of a recording, a kind of oldie-worldie, studs-turkle-esque effort. American listeners will get that reference. More of a documentary than a work of creativity. No one involved with capturing the story of Beowulf was bucking centuries of tradition to capture it in the Old English language, and good for them. I'm not throwing any shade. I'm just praising Dante, because he was bucking centuries of tradition to capture his own story in his own language. Books were rare and expensive. They were labour-intensive artefacts, with a small market of people who could even do the work, and they were usually ecclesiastical, monks in monasteries. Latin was the language of the church at that time, and Latin was the habitual language of those artefacts. The only exception was the occasional Bible written in a local language, but that was an ecclesiastic choice. Dante broke with the tradition, and for his trouble he has been beloved for centuries and remains so today. American poet and writer Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was the first American to translate Dante into English, and his translation stood as a well-respected work for many years. But I am not reading it. I am reading a different American translation from 1954 by academic John Ciardi. It is terrific because of the effort Chardi went to to help explain the Divine Comedy. There are a lot of notes throughout and even drawings to assist the reader. You see, the Divine Comedy is about Dante, who wakes up in a dark place and feels very uneasy. He sees the sun rising over a nearby mountain and decides to follow the light, only to be stopped by a wolf, a lion and a leopard. Then Virgil appears, the ancient Roman poet, and offers to take Dante out of the dark place up to a place of light. 
But, he tells Dante, to get there, Dante will need to go down to the depths of hell and up through purgatory. Hell is an underground cave divided into nine descending circles of wickedness with Satan himself underneath. What are the nine circles? Well, they're sins, including some of the seven deadlies. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud and treachery. Purgatory is a mountain of seven terraces, one each for the seven deadly sins. What's the order of the seven deadlies that will have to be climbed? Pride, envy, wrath, sloth, greed, gluttony and lust. And paradise has nine spheres aligned to the planets and the stars with God himself above. Interestingly, flawed people are there. The inconstant, the ambitious. Paradise isn't just for the saintly. The Divine Comedy really is a fascinating work. At least 800 hand-copied manuscripts of the work were said to have been made before the work got to being printed. Remember, and I have said this before back in episode 51 about Fibonacci, the printing press does not exist until Johannes Gutenberg invents it in the year 1440. So Dante's Divine Comedy precedes the printing press by 120 years. If it wasn't any good, it would have been lost to the passage of time. But it was brilliant, and people knew it was brilliant, and that's why it kept getting copied, and it's why it got printed, and why we know it even today. What is it about it that makes Dante's Divine Comedy so enduring? Well, I would say even now, who doesn't want to hear about someone journeying through hell and coming out the other side in one piece? But there is another reason, and it is the writing, because it grips you right from the start. Here is the opening line of the poem. I'll read it first in Dante's Italian, and then in English. Nel mezzo del camin di nostra vita, mi ritrovai per una scelva oscura, che la diritta via era smarita. In the middle of our life I came to a dark wood where the straight way was lost. It's quite visual, isn't it? Quite an opening line. And when Dante arrives at the entrance to hell, which is a giant gate, above the gate is written, again I'll read in Italian first and then English, Lasciate ogni speranza, voi chintrate. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Yeah, that's where the expression comes from. It comes from Dante. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And interestingly, it was John Ciardi who gave it to us. Previously, the popular translation into English was, All hope abandon ye who enter here. It's not quite right. It's accurate, but not as artful. That's why I trust Chardi's translation. I think his translation has the sensitivity to put into English all the emotion of the Italian language. And I think his academic chops enable him to bring inexperienced readers along to understand this very old but very important classic. 
So tonight, I'm reading Chardi's opening note and translation of Canto One of Dante's Inferno. I have made an editorial decision to elide over a couple of stanzas, but only in the interests of time. Tonight's read is the oldest read yet on this podcast, and it is my hope that it will whet your appetite to explore more of the Divine Comedy. Let's begin. Inferno, Canto One, The Dark Wood of Error Midway in his allotted threescore years and ten, Dante comes to himself with a start and realises that he has strayed from the true way into the dark wood of error, worldliness. As soon as he has realised his loss, Dante lifts his eyes and sees the first light of the sunrise. The sun is the symbol of divine illumination, lighting the shoulders of a little hill, the Mount of Joy. It is the Easter season, the time of resurrection. This juxtaposition of joyous symbols fills Dante with hope, and he sets out at once to climb directly up the Mount of Joy. But almost immediately his way is blocked by the three beasts of worldliness. The leopard of malice and fraud, the lion of violence and ambition, and the she-wolf of incontinence, cravings. These beasts, and especially the she-wolf, drive him back despairing into the darkness of error. But just as all seems lost, a figure appears to him. Virgil, Dante's symbol of human reason. Virgil explains that he has been sent to lead Dante from error. There can, however, be no direct ascent past the beasts. The man who would escape them must go on a longer, harder way. First, he must descend through hell, the recognition of sin, then he must ascend through purgatory, the renunciation of sin, and only then may he reach the pinnacle of joy and come to the light of God. Virgil offers to guide Dante, but only as far as human reason can go. Another guide, Beatrice, symbol of divine love, must take over the final ascent. Dante submits himself joyously to Virgil's guidance, and they move off. Canto 1 Midway in our life's journey I went astray from the straight road and woke to find myself alone in a dark wood. How shall I say what wood that was? I never saw so drear, so rank, so arduous a wilderness. Its very memory gives a shape to fear. Death could scarce be more bitter than that place, but since it came to good I will recount all that I found revealed there by God's grace. How I came to it I cannot rightly say, so drugged and loose with sleep had I become when I first wandered there from the true way. But at the far end of that valley of evil, whose maze had sapped my very heart with fear, I found myself before a little hill and lifted up my eyes, its shoulders glowed already with the sweet rays of that planet whose virtue leads men straight on every road. And the shining strengthened me against the fright, whose agony had racked the lake of my heart through all the terrors of that piteous night. 
just as a swimmer, who with his last breath flounders ashore from perilous seas, might turn to memorise the wide water of his death, so did I turn, my soul still fugitive, from death's surviving image to stare down that pass that none had ever left alive. And there I lay to rest from my heart's race, till calm and breath returned to me, then rose and pushed up that dead slope at such a pace. Each footfall rose above the last, and lo, almost at the beginning of the rise, I faced a spotted leopard, all tremor and flow. And it would not pass, but stood, so blocking my every turn, that time and again I was on the verge of turning back to the wood. This fell at the first widening of the dawn, as the sun was climbing, Aries with those stars that rode with him to light the new creation. Thus the holy hour and the sweet season of commemoration did much to arm my fear of that bright murderous beast with their good omen. Yet not so much but what I shook with dread at sight of a great lion that broke upon me raging with hunger, its enormous head held high as if to strike a mortal terror into the very air, and down his track a she-wolf drove upon me a starved horror. Ravening and wasted beyond all belief, she seemed a rack for avarice, gaunt and craving, oh, many the souls she has brought to endless grief. She brought such heaviness upon my spirit. At sight of her savagery and desperation, I died from every hope of that high summit. I wavered back, and still the beast pursued, forcing herself against me bit by bit, till I slid back into the sunless wood. And as I fell to my soul's ruin, a presence gathered before me on the discoloured air, the figure of one who seemed hoarse from long silence. At sight of him, in that friendless waste, I cried, Have pity on me, whatever you are, whether shade or living man. And it replied, Not man, though man I once was, and my blood was Lombard, both my parents Mantuan. I was born, though late, sub-Julio and bred, in Rome under Augustus, in the noon of the false and lying gods. I was a poet, and sang of old Anchises' noble son who came to Rome after the burning of Troy. But you, why do you return to these distresses instead of climbing that shining mount of joy, which is the seat and first cause of man's bliss? Are you then that Virgil and that fountain of purest speech? My voice grew tremulous. See there, immortal sage, the beast I flee. For my soul's salvation, I beg you, guard me from her, for she has struck a mortal tremor through me. And he replied, seeing my soul in tears, He must go by another way who would escape this wilderness. For that mad beast that flees before you there suffers no man to pass. She tracks down all, kills all, and knows no glut, but feeding, she grows hungrier than she was. You follow me, and I will be your guide, and lead you forth through an eternal place, 
There you shall see the ancient spirits tried in endless pain, and hear their lamentation, as each bemoans the second death of souls. Next you shall see upon a burning mountain souls in fire, and yet content in fire, knowing that whensoever it may be, they yet will mount into the blessed choir, to which if it is still your wish to climb, a worthier spirit shall be sent to guide you. With her shall I leave you. For the king of time, who reigns on high, forbids me to come there. Since living, I rebelled against his law. He rules the waters and the land and air. And there holds court his city and his throne. Oh, blessed are they he chooses. And I to him. Poet, by that God to you unknown, lead me this way. Beyond this present ill, and worse to dread, lead me to Peter's gate, and be my guide, through the sad halls of hell. And he then, follow. And he moved ahead, in silence, and I followed, where he led. And that's where we'll leave it tonight. Words from Florence that are more than 700 years old, translated nearly 70 years ago and introduced by an Italo-American academic from Boston, Massachusetts. It's just the first canto, and already we've had Beasts and Virgil and the Mount of Joy. It's so visual. And Chardy's translation is of a very high quality My review of it is that it is excellent and a worthy addition for every bookshelf, particularly for those readers who haven't enjoyed Dante yet. You'll find all his notes and diagrams and descriptions very helpful to help you navigate this complex poem. And for those wondering, Satan is there. He is in a frozen world, munching on the brains of traitors. Which traitors, you might wonder? Well, Judas Iscariot, the traitor of Christ, is one of them. And another one is Brutus. That Brutus, the honourable man, the traitor of Julius Caesar. I say honourable man in air quotes, as Shakespeare would have it, who I covered back in episode 59. So check that out if you haven't already. Dante knew it and Shakespeare knew it too. Brutus, for all his honour was treacherous. But not Dante. He was always very loyal to his city of Florence, even though they exiled him, and in fact they withdrew the exile just recently. A bit late for an administrative correction, but better late than never. Okay, I'll be back on Thursday, 9pm Sydney time, with something offbeat, and I wish you all a great week. And if you are enjoying Nudie Reads, please leave a review on Apple or whatever platform you use. Follow on Spotify and share with your friends who love great writing. Until next time, take care. It's slippery out there. And thanks for listening to Nudie Reads. <laughs>